Right, we're coming to the end of our series on Matthew 3 and 4. And uh, what, I, what I would love us to do right now is, is just to refocus ourselves on what God has been saying to us thus far. Because what I believe I'm going to bring to you is really in line with the, 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 word, the prophetic words and encouragement that we've had. And we're going to finish with breaking of bread together. And I think that's going to be, in fact, I'm sure that's going to be important to us. So let's, let's just have that in mind as we look at this passage from Matthew 4, verses 12 to 25. Jesus has come through the desert. He has been tempted by the devil. He has overcome in the desert where Israel as a nation failed in the desert and then as Israel entered the promised land so Jesus now enters into his ministry and this is what we read when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison he withdrew to Galilee leaving Nazareth he went and lived in Capernaum which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. And so we see that Jesus had been in the south, if you like, around the sort of Jerusalem area. But when he heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he went back to Galilee, first to Nazareth, but then to Capernaum, where he based his ministry. And Capernaum was on the Sea of Galilee, and that is where he met uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John. 
So what's going on here? What, what's going on here? Well, first of all, I believe that Matthew is, is telling us again who Jesus is. And in verses 12 to 17, we return to the big story. Now, I want, to, uh, I want you to use your imagination here. Here's, here's a map of Israel. It's the tribes of Israel. It all got a mi bit mixed up later on. So, uh, but why I put it on is you can see Naphtali and Zebulun up there in the north, if you can read it. It's the, the yellow and palish sort of green uh, up there. Now, cast your mind back 750 years before Jesus was preaching. Do you know that's a long time? I looked up in English history. That takes us back to King Edward I. I know nothing about King Edward I in the sort of 1200s. I know he was called Edward Longshanks. Was he tall? I also know that at that time the Welsh and the English were still fighting. Literally. Well, nothing's changed, has it? <laughs> well, not on the rugby field, anyway. <laughs> so that, that's, that is such a long time ago. God enough take his time, doesn't he? He does. Well, cast your mind back. All that time before Jesus, there is Isaiah in Jerusalem. And he's looking, so to speak, north. Why? What is happening? Because coming down from the north, there are some Syrian invaders. Translate, translate that into Ukraine with people we know in Oshkrod, uh, um, Eric and, and uh, Leanna, who live in Oshkrod in the southwest of Ukraine, looking north and seeing what was happening in Kiev. So there is Isaiah looking north. The invader is coming. Darkness is enveloping that part of the country. The people of Zebulun, the people of Naphtali, it's Asher to the left of that, to the sea. They were take, being taken captive. What was going to happen? And into that situation, Isaiah prophesied. And he talked about the darkness that was coming over the people. And then what did he say? He said, where darkness has come, God's going to shine his light. Now what Matthew doesn't say here, but what we know is that he then went on to talk about a child being born. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God,
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there's not going to be an end. That's what Isaiah prophesied into the place of darkness. Now, fast forward 750 years. It's easy to say, hard to live through. And what does Matthew say? Well, in a sense, he's already said, the child has been born. Read chapters 1 and 2. Not that Matthew had chapters in his day, but you know what I mean. The child has been born. And now, God's light, God's work of deliverance has begun exactly where Isaiah said it would. In Galilee. In the place that was despised by the south. In the place where there were loads of Gentiles mixing up with Jewish people. Where the south considered it to be a pretty dark place. And Matthew is saying, look, God's light has come. And of course that light is Jesus. As Jesus began to declare and proclaim God's rule, God's kingdom, Jesus is the light. You see, what is is Matthew here saying? He's saying similar to what, what John says in his account of Jesus. In him was light and the life was the light of men and darkness cannot overcome it. Darkness never overcomes light. Light overcomes darkness, which you prove every time you switch on the light. And that's what's happening. God's light is shining in the darkness. And let's fast forward to the present day. We need God's light to shine. And I tell you what, it's easy for us to point the finger to those outside and say, that's where God's light needs to shine. But I believe God's light needs to shine in the church. You listen to the Sunday program, and this morning, there was talk about racism amongst Christians. There was talk about lack of safeguarding amongst the church. Doesn't the enemy love it? when he can expose the darkness amongst God's people? Or is it God's Spirit saying, hey, people of God, you've got to wake up here. And we've got to be what Jesus says we are. We are the light of the world in that sense. And God, can, through Jesus, shines his light into the dark places of our lives as well. And that's uncomfortable. But that's his lovingly dealing with us. Jesus the light. Secondly, Jesus the Lord, verses 18 to 20. So, Matthew set the scene in his big story. Jesus is now in Capernaum. He's walking along by the lake and he sees 
a couple of sets of brothers fishing. Well, one, one Peter and Andrew were throwing out the net. James and John were in mending the net with their father's Zebedee. Do you know, I've always worried about this. I have. I'll be honest with you. I have. Here comes Jesus. There are four brothers. Jesus comes along and says, follow me. They drop everything and go. What about the boat? What about the nets? Comes to James, it comes to, to James and John. They leave Zebedee. What's Zebedee think? He's lost his co-workers. I, I think, that doesn't seem right to me. Now, I've worried about this, but then when you look into it, well, don't tell me you haven't. <laughs> I mean, we, we just accept these things, don't we? But does, that sound, does, does it sound like Jesus, that he would call people to abandon families? No. If you read the beginning of John carefully, you can conclude that those guys knew about if not actually knew Jesus a bit. If you read the story carefully, where's one of the first places Jesus goes? He goes to Simon Peter's house. And, praise God, he heals Simon's mother-in-law. Family. And then a bit later on, James and John's mother turns up and demands the best place for her sons in the kingdom. So putting all that together, what are we to make of this incident? I think we, what we say is that they, they knew of, and probably knew Jesus a bit, but when they heard his call, then they knew they had to respond. It was a step into the dark in a way, but not totally in that sense. So, let's have a look at the call. It was a call of authority. Not everyone who wandered along the seashore and said to somebody, follow me, would get a response. But Jesus did. I, I imagine and I believe that in his voice, in his demeanour, in the way he expressed himself, Jesus displayed an authority that you had to deal with one way or another. And those four guys heard the call, sensed the authority, left what they were doing and followed him. There are people who naturally have an authority, but Jesus' authority exceeded that. It was the authority of one who knew what he was doing, knew his place in God, knew the mission that he had, knew what he was about. It was the authority there. And Jesus still has authority still has that command in his voice. Could say more about that. Move on. It was a call of choice. I know this has been said before, but when, when 
teachers, travelling rabbis that Jesus actually was in, in those days, when they, they roamed around the countryside teaching, people attached themselves to the teacher. And they said, teacher, can I follow you? And the teacher, boosting his numbers, would say yes. Now, I know there were great crowds following Jesus, but they were not reckoned amongst his disciples. And the unique thing about Jesus is that he didn't let the disciples choose him. He chose them. In fact, he actually said to them on one occasion, didn't he? You didn't choose me, but I chose you to go and bear a lot of fruit. In other words, that your lives will be really productive. And it was... A, it was a call of choice. And Jesus is calling us. And he has called us. And that gives us security. Because ultimately, it doesn't depend on our flimsy uh, decision, which, oh, I feel I'm chosen today, and then tomorrow I don't. It depends on his choice. And praise God that it does. It means that we're secure in him. It means that we are known by him and it means that nothing's going to pluck us out of his father's hand. It's a call of choice. We're privileged, folks. I, well, let's pray with C.H. Spurgeon. Lord, Lord, choose some people. He actually said elect. But choose some people and then go and choose some more, Lord. Let's not get hung up as to whether someone's chosen or not. Let's ask God to choose everyone. Why not? But he said to you, your name, you're mine. Follow me. And it's a call of purpose. First of all, they were called to follow. And eventually, they will be called to fish. But not for literal fish, but for people. Isn't it amazing? Jesus has this wonderful gift of using the present circumstances, which were there they were fishing, and says, right, okay, you're fishermen. You know what fishing's all about. Now you're gonna, I'm going to help you and teach you and train you to fish for people. What an amazing thing. It's a call of purpose. Jesus has called you, he's called me, he's called us to follow him. He's called us to follow him, to listen to him, to sit at his feet, to hear what he has to say, to go out as he sends us. He's called us to follow him. He's called us to follow him to Jerusalem, as it were. He's called us to follow him to Gethsemane, to agonize with him as he faces the cross. He's called us to be at the cross with, with uh, his family and his disciples. He's called us... To, to go through that, those days, uh, that day after the crucifixion. He's called us to be at the, the site of the resurrection. He's called us to, to be with him as he ascends into heaven. He's called us to be together as he gives us the spirit and he's called us to go out and fish for people. It's a call of purpose. And Jesus' call hasn't changed. And he says that to each one of us and he says that to us as church. Come on, church, I've called you. And we've talked about Beckles and beyond. It's real. So, Jesus the Lord. Oh, we've got, we've got three more verses to go. 
You can guess what was in my mind now. I'd had Jesus the light, Jesus the Lord. Can I find an L? (laughs) I did. After a bit of thought, I did. He's the liberator. He is. What do we see in these verses? It's a summary. Jesus is there. He's teaching. He's healing. He's casting out demons. He's ra- he eventually raises the dead. What is Jesus doing? He's the liberator. He's the one who came to set the prisoner free, to open the eyes of the blind, to unstop the ears of the deaf, to make the lame to walk, to to cleanse, to heal, to cast out demons. Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Following in John's footsteps, he came proclaiming that God's rule has come, that God's rule is breaking into history, that there's going to be a new people of God, that that the kingdom is, is coming. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom, but he didn't just proclaim the kingdom, he demonstrated the kingdom. And I believe, with what was said here earlier, and I can't guarantee it, and I agree with Nigel there, but I'm absolutely sure, and this was in my notes, so praise God, that Jesus can heal, that Jesus still can deliver, that he can still set free, because we still have that same call upon us, not just to proclaim the kingdom, but to demonstrate it. I know we've talked about words, works and wonders and this is words and wonders and there's works in the middle, fine. But I believe we need the wonders. Because Jesus Christ, get it folks, is the same yesterday, today and forever. And the Jesus we know is different to the Jesus who was doing these things then. What is different is our faithlessness. What is different is, is our scientific materialism which, which puts doubt on these things. You go to Africa, they have no problem with it. And what do they see? Healings, deliverances. And we say they're primitive. God forgive us. God forgive us. I believe we are called in just the same way. We are. Jesus, the light, and through us, God wants to shine his penetrating light into society. And he wants to shine his light into us. Jesus is Lord. And we only do it at his, at his command. We don't step outside of what he tells us to do. And Jesus is the liberator. And I believe today, this morning, right now, Jesus can set the captive free. I have to believe it. Because Jesus is the same. He's not different. He's the same. The only difference is, he's not confined now to one place. But by the Holy Spirit, he's here with us. Now we're going to break bread together. 
And as we break bread together, we are first of all remembering that Jesus died for us, that he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we might be free, that we might be forgiven. We're remembering. But we're remembering in the presence, the real presence of Jesus. He's not in the bread and wine, literally, but he is here with us by his Spirit. And so as we remember, we are in the presence of Jesus doing that. And I believe, I believe what Paul says here, the bread which we break, is it not a sharing in the body of the Lord Jesus? It's a sharing together, but it's a sharing in the benefits of what his body broken one for us on the cross. And the cup of blessing which we bless, is that not a participation, a sharing in what Jesus did for us? There's nothing automatic, folks. But I believe this morning, as you eat the bread and you drink the wine, by faith, in faith you can receive forgiveness if we confess God's faithful he's just he forgives we can receive healing by his stripes we are healed not automatically but by faith because I'm reaching up and these symbols, these elements, these help me physically to appreciate what Jesus has done. We can receive strength. We can receive hope. We can receive peace in confusion. This is not a light thing that we do. It's not a casual thing. It's a sharing, a participation in all that Jesus did for us. Why? Because he's alive. We don't just celebrate a dead example. We're in the presence of the Jesus who died, was buried, and rose again and said, if you know me, you know the truth. And what does the truth do? Set you free. Set you free. So I'd like us to go, if that's all right with the other guys, I'd like us to go straight in to breaking bread together. And just get in, get in little groups. Gluten-free is at the front. And...
just gather around and pray. Whatever needs you have, minister to each other. Let's, we've, got a, we've got a few minutes to do that. So can we, let's do that to break bread together. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that Jesus reveals himself to us as the light, the Lord, and the liberator. Lord, thank you that he went to the cross for us. Thank you that he died in our place. Thank you that he took upon himself our sin, our shame. Thank you that he stood in our place where judgment should have been on us, it was on him. Thank you, Lord, that he defeated Satan, that he's the victor. Thank you, Lord, that he broke through the last enemy, which is death, and rose again. This is Jesus. And Lord, Lord God, we thank you for him. And as we eat and drink together, Lord, give us the gift of faith that we may believe that what you say you can do, you will do. And I pray, Lord, that this morning there will be folks here who will find real release and healing. In Jesus' name.